Hi guys, welcome back. This is episode 6. We are the Skeleton Twins, and this podcast is for Anthropology 355, Bioarchaeology of Death, for Dave Hopwood at Vancouver Island University. My name is Casey Moore, and I'm here virtually with Claire Cunningham. On today's episode, we'll be going to Jamaica. I've chosen two different burials. They're not very similar in the way that they are buried, however... I find the significance of the evidence and what was brought forward by these archaeologists, I think it showcases the fact that we have social networks, we have bonds with people before we pass on, and it's with what's left of us, it showcases what people thought of us and what people recognized us with. Seville was a part of a large sugar estate that was located on Jamaica's north coast. There were approximately 300 acres of sugar that was being grown. Seville was established as a sugar-producing estate in the 19, I mean, in 1670. The plantation was consolidated on a 2,500-acre tract of land that was included in the earlier 16th-century Spanish settlement, Seville La Nueva. The burial that are at this site are specifically important because they are they are the only individuals of African descent that was discovered there. Artifacts found in the yard dated these individuals back to the 1720s to the 1750s. All four burials were found in the house yard compounds associated with two labor villages at Seville. The house and this settlement were destroyed in the 1780s, probably due from two hurricanes that struck Jamaica's north coast during that time which caused them to relocate their new house site was three times the area they had before. However, no house burials were discovered in the, at the later settlement. A previous study done by Jerome Handler, Frederick Lane, and Robert Crutney, if pardon my pronunciation, analysis of the Newton plantation in Barbados, which brought up trends between the burials, they showcased a lot of variety of material goods, the Barbados study recovered materials such as pipes, beads, shells, bracelets, and revealed practice of dental modification that was derived directly from Africa. One of the only grave goods that was found at the Newton Plantation with the burial had elements of a healer-diviner community in African beliefs and practices within this population. The Seville study illustrates an alternative form of African-American burial, the practice of burying one's relatives and friends within a house yard and compounds within the boundaries of their villages and settlements. Burial 1 and 2 were found in the proximity of the house structures. These burials were on the south side adjacent houses in what appears to have been a narrow walkway between each house. The houses were less than 4 meters apart. And just off the main pathway that separated the two row, two main rows of houses, the burials were found in their respective yard. Bioarchaeology investigation of the remains revealed that these individuals suffered from chronic anemia and osteomyelitis. Pardon my pronunciation. These individuals suffered from a variety of indices of stress that are consistent with conditions of enslavement found of the barbarian slave populations. According to Armstrong and Fleshman, the first burial was encountered during the excavation of the house sire during, our, during their third season at Seville, and one burial was recovered per season over a period of four years. Once they had discovered the burials, the researchers used a magnometer survey of the area, which, conducted, which was conducted by John Sexton and Harvey Hansen. 
The magnometer was used to see if there's any distinct patterns between the burials. The burials were all dug into limestone bedrock, which was then filled with a mix of bright red decomposed limestone, as well as the white marlin limestone, which in the end made the burial easy to see. All the burial pits dug into the limestone bedrock and all buried at the flat wooden and all were buried in a flat wooden casket. All four were buried in an east facing alignment. Three of the individuals were male and the fourth was a female. Two of the males were in their early 20s, whereas the third male was in his mid-40s, and the female was in her late teens. The man in his 40s was the only burial to present on the surface, located approximately 8 meters away, away from the back edge of the house. The female burial was found at the front of the yard. This house was different from the others. It was set back from the other houses, rather than being in line with them. This arrangement allowed the yard-to-yard -yard interaction between the residing house area, 1.19, and the row of houses to the east. The only marked grave was the older male. His grave was placed at the rear of its yard. Its positioning at the edge of the yard and the primary foot traffic row may, have, may account for the survival of markings. The location of the burial is carefully laid out. Cut limestone blocks reflected as reflected a, pan, a panned effort to bury an individual who was important within his community. Ceramics from the burial fill are used to approximately date these individuals. Burial 1 was associated with the house area, which dates to approximately 1730. Burial 2 is located at the neighboring house yard and is approximately date of 1740. The female as well was dated back to the mid-century. All were located in proximity were located in small approximately 8 by 8 meter multifunction yard areas. Other yard functions include cooking, activities, gardening, socializing, and burial grounds. These burials seem to represent a community within this area. According to Armstrong and Fleshman, each individual is buried with one or more distinctive artifacts that convey information about them and their relationship to the community. Two had objects that might have been linked to ritual or spiritual significance, and two had objects that may, def that may have defined skills and crafts wi with which they were associated in their life. The female burial had a crystal that was discovered above her burial. According to Armstrong and Fleshman, the clear glass crystal was a part of a faucet bottle stopper that had been deliberately and repeatedly peaked on the two broad flat surfaces. The interpretation of this individual as someone with recognized spiritual power might explain her burial within the village. Even though she was a female, she was, a f she was also a teenager. I find it interesting that she was found with the crystal, whereas the other individuals were not. The older male had a calibrated comp carpenter's compass on his side, whereas the younger male had a knife in his left hand and an unused tobacco pipe on his chest. The knife had a bone handle that measured in 15 centimeters in length. Since the individual had a knife in their left hand, it could mean that the individual might have been left-handed. All individuals were buried in clothing, secured with bone buttons, as the coffin construction, as with the coffin construction. The number of the number and locations of buttons suggest a difference in burial practices between males between the three males and the female. The female had only three buttons, while the males had an average of 11. Could this be a way of dividing up the sexes? 
Referring to Armstrong and Fleshman, all of their clothing material and artifacts are consistent with a plantation setting. In Burial 2, the skeletal remains are a muscular male who died in his early 20s. Referring to the tooth wear, auricular surface, referring to the tooth wear, auricular surface pelvis, and a lunar rings on the spine. Burial 3 is one of the, Burial 3 is the only female that was found at the site along with the other three males. Unlike the others, this individual was deposited in a relatively shallow grave, less than 70 centimeters. However, the prepared grave was only partially dug into the limestone bedrock. As a consequence, the skeleton is not well preserved as the others. She was young. 16 to 18 year olds, 16 to 19 year old year, years old and of African ancestry. Through tooth wear sutures and clavicle epithesis that were not fully closed, the researchers were able to get approximate age. The time spent on the burial process was less than the other three burials. Not only was the burial pit shallower than the others, but the coffin was less substantial. And no coffin ha- with no coffin handles and fewer nails than found with the other three males. The variation between males and females could be a representation on the difference between them. However, the pecked crystal on the burial makes it seem like they're more of importance. The time and effort on, on the crystal could showcase that she meant something to someone, or that she was involved in a spiritual or ritualistic act. According to Armstrong and Fleshman, the crystal could suggest that she was a role as a healer or an oblique person. These individuals show a ton of variation from their burials to their remains to what they're buried with. The osteological analysis of Burial 2 illustrates an individual who fits the profile of a field laborer, who would have been a valued asset to the planter who was recognized in death by the mortuary practice of his community. Burial 4 showcases that he was a skill worker who had died between 1753 and 1759. He lived till he was in his 40s. Burial 1's remains are of an individual who has a disability. Referring to Armstrong and Fleshman, they state that the presence of the lock on in his grave forces us to ask what his role was within the community given his disabilities. The relationships expressed in the burial goods and pathologies at Seville are reflected of a locally defined conditions pre- of premutations, premutations of life and death at the Caribbean plantation. This community expressed African cultural practices within their funerary practices. Seville was important to when it came to showcasing evidence of social relationship within this community. Now with all of this in mind, I'd just like to go over what we just talked about. The fact that these individuals worked on a slave farm, they also were buried in a proximity of house structures, and the fact that some individuals showcased more higher importance due to their grave goods, I find extremely interesting. The fact that the only female that was found at this site had a pecked crystal, that makes me wonder if she was of higher, like, higher importance or um, hierarchy in this group. Or was she of less? Because when you look at the males and how they have their clothes, where they have 11 buttons, where she has three, what does this mean? It makes me realize that there is a huge significance when it comes to sexes and dating with the sexes. So that kind of leads me to my first question is, what do you think as an archeologist points out to you as a definition of 
complete difference between male and female in their burial aspects. For me, I find that when looking at a burial site and figuring out if there is a distinct difference between males and females, other than the sex, obviously, I think I look at the artifacts the most. I look at seeing maybe one is more rich or maybe one is more obviously higher priced than the other. It makes me think that way in my mind that maybe just maybe they could have been of higher importance. However, I think when it really very when it really boils down to it, I think that as individuals, it's hard for us to just be like, "Yep, they have hierarchy or yep, they have this." Because we don't really know, like, what certain things meant to people back in the day. Like, for instance, a frying pan could have meant something else to someone. Like, I doubt it, but who knows? <laughs> I think what it really boils down to, though, is the analysis of the remains and what they're buried with. Maybe the fact that it's shinier than others could mean something different. I think that definitely at this burial site, this female was of higher significance. The fact that someone took their time and made this crystal for her makes me realize that she clearly has some importance in this, in this site. What do you think, Claire? From my perspective, I have kind of two thoughts on the question that you just asked. So my first thought is I do agree with you that I think opposed to the physicalities of the skeleton and the sex of the skeleton and things like that, the next priority thing to look at is the artifacts and the grave goods. I agree that there is a lot of information that is held within those items that could represent sex in different ways and could really showcase the individual in determining the gender. However, after thinking about that, it kind of reminds me again of the cultural biases and the prejudices that a lot of archaeologists have going into a site where, especially for gender, it's very easy to look at an item and quickly come to a conclusion that it's this gender or it's that gender. I really like the analysis you did on this site. It reminds me of our very first episode when we talked about Vikings and how there was misgendered remains. And I also recognize the intensity and the striking difficulty archaeologists must have in the field because secondary objects opposed to the buried individual are artifacts and when you have a civilization or you have an area that has been preserved or even if it hasn't been preserved but its history goes so 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 far back when you don't have a lot of items or bits of an area or anything like that to really base your understanding off of I understand and can recognize that it can be so difficult to make assumptions or make come up with ideas creative you know, things that can recreate the past. So when I, my first thought even it agrees with you, and I still do agree with you, but I also think that we have to look beyond that. And in my personal thought, I always found like spatial arrangements to be really interesting and really a, an important point about burials, where the bodies are, and as well as the position. So if they're in the flex position, if they're in the fetal position, or if they're in a pot or in a wall or anything like that, I think that can tell a lot 
about the individual and when you think about gender and for instance in your study of the woman being buried with a crystal and does that give her a a greater hierarchical pinpoint in the society than the males do or my thought was maybe it could be the total opposite maybe she was sacrificed maybe she was a slave in the sense and again I recognize that because I know a lot of history where women didn't have the same place as men do in society and women were used for things like that such as you know viking slaves where women were sacrificed so it's it's so incredibly hard to only look at one end and and it's also so difficult to kind of read about all this information and look at all these different research from you know just words on a paper I love learning about these studies because it makes me want to be there so bad I wish I could look at it for myself and you know although I haven't learned all the tools of archaeology yet and how to do the research in the field work I love reading about it and all the analysis makes me want to go so bad because I think it would be incredible to see Excavations between the 1950s and the 1960s discovered 16 humans, three of which were subadults. All adults were found in flex positions with some graves containing ceramic vessels. Some variation in the position of grave goods was observed with the vessels found placed over the skull or alongside the torso. There is a burial at White Morrow that contains a grave with a flexed adult, two vessels near the skull and the feet, and a body of a dog placed by their head. Dog and human burials are significant for this area because they are so rare to know to to have known. According to Mickelberg and other researchers, this is the first burial site in Jamaica where in which a human is buried with a dog. Three out of the five burials were excavated at the site. Poor preservation of the remains prevented age estimation using the pubic synthesis and the auricular surface morphology and the sternal rib ends changes. Adults were discovered by dental patterns. Subadults were estimated by epistle sutures on the dental eruption. Referring to the article, the fragmented nature of the cranial prevented the reliable assessment of cranial modification, which is a common practice throughout the Caribbean islands. Bone and tooth samples were taken from the individual's and were given a radiocarbon date of approximately 680 BP for one in for one burial. Burial 2 was approximately 830 BP, and burial 3 was approximate dating of 360 BP. For those of you who don't know what BP stands for, it's for B pre- before present. <laughs> Based on the position of the anatomical relation of the bones, each burial compromises of a primary interment buried shortly after death in a small oval-shaped pit. Ceramic vessels were found at the site. However, burial one and burial two were covered were, were uncovered with no grave goods. According to Mickelberg, both of the vessels were consistent with the white marl ceramic style. Burial one is a subadult with approximate dating of twelve ninety two to thirteen ninety eight A.D. The researchers estimated the age of nine to fourteen years. The individual was buried in a flexed position on their left side with a small unturned boat-shaped vessel between their torso and lower limbs. The skull was oriented northeast. The bones and joints of the skull were in an anatomical position. The right ribs were flattened and the right 
hand rotated immediately due to the composition of the soft tissues and the lateral position, in the lateral position. Burial 2 is an adult with approximately dating of 1222, 1221 to 1289 AD. The individual is possibly a male. Referring to the article, the individual is placed in a supine position with the lower limbs flexed towards the torso. The poorly preserved skeleton was in an ashier layer with dispensed charcoal in and around the grave fill. The poor condition of the remains made it difficult to anal to analysis them, like to make an analysis of them. However, the ribcage was flattened and no wrappings or body containers were found. Burial 3 had a dating of approximately 1477 to 1641 AD and was sexed as a possible female. According to the article, the female was buried in a soft limestone subdrate in a flex position on the left side. The skull was oriented west, and the burial pit was covered with a flat layer of stone. With stone, a large ceramic vessel was found positioned against the lower limbs and abdomen, and over the right hand. The radiocarbon date of burial three is significant because it suggests an earlier date of death, which suggests the first contact with Europe Europeans or Spanish occupation started in 1494 and ended around 1505 to 1655. In the end, according to the researchers, these types of burial treatments are similar to the places in the Caribbean. There has only been one repetitive grave good that has been, and which has been, the ceramic vessels. The fact that Burial Three possibly lived during the Spanish occupation supports the hypothesis that White Mar was inhabited during the colonial occupation in, jo in Jamaica. The researchers stated that the site had device had diverse substance practices which involved which involved the natural resources from the area that were cultivated into kitchen gardens. Now I'd like to go over just what I went through. These individuals were very interesting. However, there's not that much information on the White Mar site. However, I think the hypothesis that supports earlier earlier colonial occupation in Jamaica, I find very interesting. The fact that this individual may have had an earlier death at 1494, I think that's really interesting. The fact that they could have came earlier rather than later, I think that changes the way we think of different areas and the way we think of different, how people are affected by colonization. So maybe, maybe this burial is stating that they could have came here earlier. The barrel is also possibly a female, which I find interesting too, because usually I, w I would think at least that I would think that that would be possibly a male. However, with the preservation of the remains, it's very, very hard to determine, yes, you're a female, yes, you're a male, let alone ever with any remains. It's, you're still going to have that what if, if you don't have that clear, clear, clear image of these remains or clear image of what they looked like beforehand. Now I'd like to move on to my first question. So for my first question, I'd like to focus on the dog and human burial. What do you think it means when we bury our dogs with humans or any animal with our humans? What do you think it means to the archeologist? I think it shows the importance of a man's best friend. I think it shows the importance of how we still care for dogs and we still 
have interactions with dogs. This dog might have been a protector for this area. However, I think the fact that the individual was buried with their dog might have meant that that was their bond, their relationship. These individuals were probably, well, this dog and this individual was probably his owner. That's what I get from it, at least. However, I also think it could mean that maybe this dog was the protector, maybe the dog was protecting the human's remains, or maybe the human is protecting the dog remains. In the end, I think it's really interesting, the fact that a dog is buried with a human. The fact that that barely happens nowadays, or not that I know of, actually, (laughs) happens. But I think it showcases a lot of their culture and what they put emphasis on in their lives and who they cared about and what they cared about and maybe what mammals they cared out cared about more than the others how about you claire what do you think again this totally reminds me of the first few episodes that we did and the research that i was taking account into account in the icelandic and the scandinavian areas of the world where Lots of burials were found with horses as well as the individuals. So I think it's a really interesting point when you can see a type of relationship happening with an individual and a person. Um, A basic conclusion to come to for myself would be that if the animal is buried with the person, there has to be some form of a relationship. As well as a sense of sympathy or empathy kind of feeling with burying an animal with an individual. Whereas there's so many different, you know, if you look at dietary patterns in the skeletons or the environmental aspects around the civilization or the population area, what kind of food they were eating, things like that, you know, with the lack of soft tissue and things like that on skeletons, it's hard hard to tell. However, in my experience and in my conclusions I would think that if an animal was buried in a grave with an individual it wasn't the kind of animal that they were eating or it wasn't the kind of animal that they were consuming daily or using as either an everyday meal or using their fur their bones their teeth any kind of item that would be used in the daily life from my perspective it there has to be a higher meaning towards this animal. If they want the full skeleton buried with them, whether it's because they are the spirit assists them in the afterlife or it's to the path of enlightenment or because, like you said, there was an ownership level of relationship there, anything like that. I know there's lots of history in India where cows are such a sacred animal. So I the history behind the animals in the area and the life in the area, whether it be flora or fauna or anything like that, I think would give a lot of information into the relationship and what kind of like occupations you could see as well. If horses were used in battle riding in, if dogs were used as protection, if whatever and whatever, like For my second question, what do you think it means when an individual is placed in the flex position? How do you think that interprets our data and how do you think the archaeologist is going to interpret those remains? Flex position or any position I find is significant because it's purposely moving the body and putting it in a way that you wouldn't normally put it. Like Like for instance an anatomical position where they're laying on their back. 
I think having the individual in a flex position maybe is used to protect the individual depending what's around them. Maybe it's used to signal to us or the archaeologist that, hey, I didn't bury myself. I didn't just fall into this hole. I was purposely placed here. I think it showcases the fact that we care for our dead. As humans, we care. We care about death. It's in different ways. However, these different ways put a big emphasis on the way we are represented throughout our lives. I also think that being in a flex position showcases that maybe these individuals were doing different funerary practices where in which the body had to have been moved during this ritualistic practice. What do you think, Claire? I completely agree with you. I come to that conclusion as well when I'm looking at this research. I think that it does show that there was a decision being made. There was a process that they had, the living had in mind when choosing to bury these individuals. But another thing that I find myself going down the path of is also the type of death that we can see. I think when research shows that there was injuries, there was post-mortem damage to the skeleton, perhaps the person died by a force of another individual or because they were in battle or when it was a sudden death, I found that individuals weren't being taken care of in their death the same way as whereas if someone died of a disease or someone was sick, someone starved, someone drowned or something that was more like sudden and would have inflicted a different type of feeling rather than a purposeful killing or sacrificial process of an individual. I think that when people are put in flex positions or when children are put in positions that, you know, protect their core or they have their head in their hands or something like that shows that they are cared for in the afterlife, that they are protected underground or wherever they're buried, rather than, you know, someone who wasn't a significant member of society, someone who came into the area and died. Suddenly, something like this, I find, showcases a different type of burial. And I think that you can see that a lot in the way the individuals are positioned. So I I do totally agree with you and I understand the conclusion that you're coming to. I think it does show a level of decision making. It does show that the living were taking precautions, they were taking their time, they were implementing a pattern or a process into the burials of these people, choosing to include an animal with the person. And for, you know, whatever reason... It, it just does show that there was patience and care and time taken into this.